song from 1971, written by Bernie Taupin and Elton John. Bernie says they were in L.A. when they wrote it and said it seemed like sunshine just radiated from the populace. I've always found it fascinating that they noticed the Jesus freaks that were there in Southern California. It's not a surprise. Most say that's where the Jesus revolution began. And a little more south of L.A. in Orange County, there was a pastor named Chuck Smith and his wife Kay had a real heart to reach the hippies. So my dad and mom both believed in the transforming power of the gospel. And I think Mm. that's an important factor because they knew that these lost generation coming in would not stay in drugs, would not stay in the lifestyle they had, but that the Holy Spirit would sanctify them and transform them. And Mm. they knew that the Spirit would do the work that needed to be done. That's Cheryl Smith Broderson, the youngest daughter of Chuck and Kay Smith. And you'll get to hear more from her on today's episode of the Great Stories podcast. She's going to share more about the Jesus People Movement from her family's perspective. I think you'll be inspired by what she tells us about the great revival that happened 50 years ago. And it's my prayer that it inspires all of us to ask the Lord to move right now in our hearts and in our world with another great gospel revival. But before we get started, I want to quickly mention that we have the DVD of Jesus Revolution available as our thanks for your gift to Haven Ministries. Find out how you can get your copy at haventoday.org. But for now, let's meet up with Cheryl Broderson. Welcome to Haven Today, and we are looking back at how the Lord has moved in people's lives and how there were great movements of the Lord in times past. And on this program, for the very first time, I'm surprised we've never had you on, we are having Cheryl Broderson, who is the daughter of the late pastor of Calvary Chapel in Costa Mesa, Chuck Smith. Cheryl Broderson, welcome for the first time to Haven Today. Thank you so much, Charles. I'm excited to be here. Well, it's exciting for me because we've been talking about this amazing Jesus movement that started in the 60s and 70s, and and you were growing up. You were part of this. Just what do you remember as, as a little girl growing up about how the Lord was moving? And I'm not sure you even knew the Lord as a young child when this was going on, but we'll get to your own story a little bit later. But what do you recall? Yes. Let me just say this. My mother made sure I was saved by the time I was two. So my mom was a, a, a very, very strong, very spirit-filled, exuberant woman, beautiful I mean, she was movie star, beautiful, dark hair, Mm -hmm. blue eyes, about five, Mm -hmm. eight, and just stunning. I mean, she was very stunning. She was uh, mistaken for a movie star and very natural beauty, but Mm -hmm. very exuberant and wholly dedicated to Jesus. And she wanted everyone around her to be wholly dedicated to Jesus. And that went from Mm. the checker at the market to the neighbor, to the children that would come over to play with me, which was interesting because most of my friends were Jewish. Um, Mm -hmm. And she wanted them to know their Messiah. And she Mm. wanted to share Jesus with everyone. And that was my mom. And the other part of my mom was she wanted everyone to be filled with the Spirit and to be passionate about Jesus because she was passionate. Mm. 
And so she wanted others to be passionate about Jesus. And so she made sure I was saved. So I remember as a little girl, every time the Sunday school teacher would say, who wants Jesus in their heart? I would raise my hand. And mm. I kept getting all these free Bibles because you got a free Bible every time you got you saved. You got a prize. <laughs> right. And my mom was saying, now, Cheryl, you don't need to keep raising your hand. You've dedicated your life to Jesus. And um, I was baptized in the Spirit at age five, baptized in water, fully immersion. This is Calvary at age seven. And I remember taking my first communion at six, and my mom wanted to make sure I knew exactly what the cup mm. and the bread represented before mm. I ever took it. So she was she was a very, very strong influence, very strong person in my life. Every morning before I left for school, she would say, Cheryl, you're a lamb among wolves, and mm. make sure I was prayed mm. for. So there's a movie, Jesus Revolution, that many people have seen, and my mom in that movie is kind of a docile character, and you're thinking, oh. She was, was any, nothing but no, no, nothing that was, like that That at was all. a very wrong um, typecasting. Well, let, let's talk about this a little bit, because I— when our ministry left Hollywood and we bought the Maranatha Music Studios from Calvary Chapel, and that's where we were for a number of years, your late father and I used to have lunch together. He'd pick Aww. me up in one of his used cars and oh, yes. we'd go have lunch. But he told me the real backstory on the Jesus Revolution, and I'll use that term, was really your mom influencing him to reach out to hippies. That's right. You want to tell a little bit of that story about, about you know, how the Lord began using them, and then it just grew and grew. It went into music. It went into preaching. It went into churches being planted, these baptisms on the beach. Just give us a little bit of that history. All right. I want to say this, though. My father was never strategic. Like even our family vacations, we would borrow a motorhome and we'd just see where we wanted to go. And so there was no strategy at all in the Jesus Revolution. It was never marketed. It was never strategized. It was right. just what the Spirit did. And that was my father. He never wanted a plant. In fact, he kind of was a little suspicious okay. of plants. My mother was okay. a planner. My mom wanted to okay. know if we were going to go someplace, she would get a book on the place and she wanted to know all about it. But she was the same way with people. She wanted to know all about people. So my mom was adopted and her story, um, she never met her biological mother. She never knew who her biological father was. She didn't even find out that the people who were raising her were not her parents until she was 14 years old. And mm. she wasn't legally adopted mm. until she was 14 years old. So mm. there's a whole story there. And she'd been through quite a bit of trauma and quite a bit of tragedy. And she was what I call a feeler, intense feeler. Uh, uh -huh. She felt for others in a way that goes deeper than anyone else I've known. Like she would hurt, she would feel so much. And so when she saw these these hippies, she called them the lost children. Everything was, Chuck, they're just lost children. And I think she related to their plight because she was a lost child. And she related mm. to their lost children. They don't have mothers. They don't have fathers who care. They're lost, Chuck. They're lost. And it would be so intense. I mean, it would be hard to even have dinner at our table because she would start crying over the plight of the lost 
children. She would make my dad pull over so she could talk to a girl on a bench who looked forlorn. Um, She Mm. wanted to feel for them, and she would ask them, can I pray for you? Can I tell you about Jesus? So she was already intensely interested in why they were doing what they were doing, what their motivation, what was driving them, what was behind everything, and she was praying. So in the meantime, Calvary Chapel was already growing. My dad was not discouraged in the least about the church. My father never saw mountains. He saw challenges. So again, not a planner, but everything was doable. Where there was a will, there was a way. The Lord was bringing people into the church. It wasn't the other way around. No, and my dad was one of those types that whatever door the Lord opened, he went through. Whether it was speaking at an Anglican church or a Catholic church, which he did, or a Presbyterian church, uh, he went to all the mayor's prayer breakfast. He was really good friends with all the pastors Mm -hmm. in the area. He was friends with the people on the city council. He was just such a nice guy, too. Very involved in the community where my mother was more, as I said before, she was the the feeler. So you've got this feeler with just this guy who doesn't have any challenges. And we've got this church, and my dad's teaching the Word. So my dad was not the first pastor of Calvary Chapel. Calvary Chapel was already a church. They had broken off from the Four Square Church, and they had met in a trailer park for a while. And then they had bought this little church on Church Street in Walnut in Costa Mesa. Mm. And their Mm. pastor felt like he needed to step down because of some issues in his family. And so the church was looking for a new pastor. Interestingly enough, the, the board of the church had women and men both on it. And so they were asking for different pastors to come in. And my father was one of those who campaigned. And there had been a prophecy that they would know the pastor of the church because he went a he would want to rebuild and redesign the platform. So they had taken my dad out to Bonanza Steakhouse after he had preached that Sunday morning. And while they were sitting there, my dad pulled out a pen out of his pocket and grabbed a napkin and said, you know, I was looking at your platform, and if you just moved these walls back and you brought it forward a little bit, and they all looked at each other and said, this is the pastor, the next pastor of Calvary Chapel. And we were in a place called Corona, California, and my dad was actually teaching at uh, Riverside Baptist College. He was teaching psychology, and Mm -hmm. he had a a little church that he had started that had about 250 people. So we moved from there to Costa Mesa. We already owned a house in Newport Beach that my dad had bought for $17,000. All these things are important to me. And Mm -hmm. so he started preaching at the church and preaching the Word, and he had already been doing a Bible study in Newport Beach, and all those people who were at that Newport Beach Bible study that he had been commuting to do all came to the church. So we have an immediate, almost 250 people at this church. It's already outgrowing the facility. And my father is, I remember he put me in the car, because again, I'm his youngest daughter. I was probably about six years old. And he said, we're going down to the the newspaper office, and we're going to take the ad out of the newspaper because I don't want a church that's bigger than 250 people. (laughs) So that was what was happening. And at the same time, you've got my mom with this curiosity about hippies. So my sister's on a date with a young man named John Nicholson. And my sister says to her boyfriend, uh, they were both at a college called SCC, Southern California Christian College, which later became Uh Vanguard. 
Right. And she says to John, she said, my mom is so obsessed with these hippies. I just don't know what to do. It's kind of, you know, intense. And he said, well, I used to be a hippie and I know a hippie I can introduce her to. So he said, I'll call him and his wife. So he called up Lonnie Frisbee, who had family in Newport Beach, and said, hey, there's this pastor's wife I really want you to talk to. She's really great. She really cares. She'll ask you all the right questions. So Lonnie and Connie came down, and they came over to the house, and my dad was in the living room, and my mom just peppered them with questions. We had prayer meetings every Sunday night and every Wednesday night. So services would end. My dad would lead Three songs a cappella on Sunday nights, hymns on he Sunday morning. He had a morning. great voice. We had him sing on our program after I became the speaker of Haven today. Yes. So Sunday nights and Wednesday nights, he would do three songs a cappella, and then he would teach the Bible. Verse by verse on Sunday nights, more of a, a different study on Wednesday nights where he would just take one verse and kind of, you know, bring it out of its, you know, kind of its fullness. And then we would go into a prayer meeting. Well, my mother was very vocal. And she had these prophecies that she would speak, and she got everyone caring about the hippies. So the whole church is on their knees praying for this lost generation. And again, my mom would call them the lost children and the lost mm-hmm. generation. That Those mm-hmm. were her terms. And so everyone in the church is feeling this intensity, and she's got them all praying. There was also a prayer meeting next door with all these moms, and she would go to this prayer meeting next door and get all those women on their knees praying for this lost generation. She'd say, don't you understand? These are your children. This could be your child. We need to pray. And Mm. so Mm. when Lonnie and Connie came to the church for the first time, everyone was ecstatic. This was an answer Mm. to their prayers. We've got our first real hippies coming into the (laughs) church, and they look like hippies, and everybody is like almost excited. They're like bouncing up and down in their seats. So after the service, my dad called Lonnie and Connie forward. Now, Lonnie had not had a voice up in um, Nevada where he had been. He was part of the San Francisco hippie movement. That was kind of where the Jesus movement broke out. And he was a part, but he was a minor player. Nobody really even knew him. So my dad had Lonnie and Connie come forward, and he had the whole church step up, and they all came forward, and they laid hands on Lonnie and Connie and prayed that the Lord would bless them in whatever ministry they were called for. So the whole church is laying hands on them, and they're praying for them. So Lonnie and Connie go back to Novato, and they decide that they probably want to move down to Costa Mesa. In the meantime, we'd outgrown that facility, and my dad had bought some property just a block from where the church is right now, he bought on an Gary old Avenue. Uh, yes. Spanish school on Greenville and Sunflower, uh, okay. just down the yes. street from what would become South Coast Plaza. At that point, it was just bean fields, nothing but bean fields for miles. The area around was owned by the Sagerstroms, and my dad had played football with them in high school. So you just see all these connections that God was making. In the meantime, we rented a Lutheran church. We sold our facility and rented a Lutheran church from, you know, the Lutheran pastor who my dad was good friends with. We rented their church because they were building a new church, and it was just, you know, very providential for both of us. And while we were at the Lutheran church, Lonnie moved back, Lonnie and Connie, and he began to start this evangelistic ministry, and he would bring all these hippies into the church. So originally our baptisms, because now we're at a Lutheran church, they sprinkle, they don't dunk. So we need right. a dunking place. 
<laughs> so there was a trailer park down on the peninsula on 19th Street. And my dad figured we could use the beach in front of the trailer park. And so we started doing baptisms on 19th Street in the ocean, which my dad had never done before, but he figured, you know, why not? And the water did not have the waves. So we started having Mm -hmm. baptismals there. Well, the trailer park complained about it. So we had to move to Pirate's Cove, which my dad didn't really like because he thought it was too expensive because they charged (laughs) for parking. (laughs) <laughs> but they had fire rings. So at that, that's when we moved to Pirate's Cove. And again, it wasn't strategic. It was definitely providential, but it wasn't strategic. And it was just this door opened. We could do this. Well, isn't that the best way? Yes. The way the Lord moves. And I, and I think it's so easy. And of course, we have listeners that weren't even born when this was happening. But th- this was... This was a tough time. Culture was changing so rapidly. The love-ins that the hippie movements would have, the drug culture that was part of that. The Vietnam War was going on, and the hippies were very anti-Vietnam War. Many of us, including people who were born-again Christians in churches, felt like America was going to the pits, and it would never be able to recover And then this revival started. In fact, Cheryl, I want us to listen to a clip from the new Jesus Revolution movie that captures your parents' hearts to open up the church to hippies. Let's take a listen. This place, it is yours. (laughs) I don't, I don't care if anybody else thinks so. (laughs) If, If you feel like you're an outcast, then Join us here. If you feel like you're misunderstood and judged, this is where you belong. If you feel ashamed or trapped in something you've done or are doing, you will find forgiveness and freedom right here. This is your home. You're listening to Haven Today, and that was a clip from the Jesus Revolution movie. Pastor Chuck Smith was welcoming hippies to come to his church and get to know Jesus. And we're talking with his youngest daughter, Cheryl Broderson. Cheryl, if you ask someone here on the West Coast who's maybe 55 or older how they met the Lord, nine out of ten times, they're going to say it was at a Calvary Chapel. Right. Now, the rest of the United States and parts of North America, it's Billy Graham. (laughs) But the Lord uses us like your dad was not a planter. He wasn't a management consultant, but your dad was just open and willing. And then there was the voice of your mom that kept encouraging him and pushing him to reach the lost and the unlovable out there. And they were hippies. But I do think there's a factor to... um... Also, there were Hell's Angels and the Black Panthers at the same time. There was hijackings. There was everything was going crazy in the 60s. It was absolutely going crazy. But another factor was my grandparents on my dad's side and my grandparents on my mom's side, the adopted ones, all got saved through the Foursquare Ministry. And the Foursquare Ministry, because of Amy Simple McPherson, was all about conversion. It was all about transformation. So my grandpa, after he got saved on my dad's side, would go to the prisons and the jails, and he would evangelize 
all these people in jail. And then he would say, when you get out, come to my house for dinner. And they would. And yeah, they so would. there would be all these testimonies at my dad's dinner table. So my dad and mom both believed in the transforming power of the gospel. And I think mm. that's an important factor because they knew that these lost generation coming in would not stay in drugs, would not stay in the lifestyle they had, but that the Holy Spirit would sanctify them and transform them. And Mm. they knew that the Spirit would do the work that needed to be done. And so they were excited to see what the Lord was going to do with each person that was being saved. My dad opened up uh, Monday nights. He started teaching on Monday nights, and he would open it up to testimonies. Monday nights were my favorite night of the week because that was the testimony night. And you know, somebody would say, you know, I was a prostitute and then Jesus saved me. And now, you know, I'm, you know, married and I'm telling other unspeakable stories for the average church. Heroin addicts. Yes. This this is who Jesus was calling. That's right. To when he said, come to me and lived on earth. That's right. Yeah. That's right. Same thing. The gospel is for everybody. That's right. And sometimes we forget that. That's right. And of course, you know, one of the things that your your the 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 this movement started that your your father was part of, he was telling me one time the story of how he had his fifty sermons, they were all evangelistic sermons, but then he read a commentary one day and decided, Oh, I could preach this way. And he started preaching verse by verse, which is what, of course, he became famous for at Calvary Chapel. Yeah, my dad had a photographic memory, Mm. either photographic or just astounding. My grandmother had been an actress for a while, and she was told if you read anything over 18 times, you'll know it by heart. And Mm. so she taught my dad to memorize scripture by reading it over 18 times. So Mm. he actually had uh, read G. Campbell Morgan was one of his favorite pastors. And he read G. Campbell Morgan's sermons over 18 times. And so he did quite a few of G. Campbell Morgan's sermons, like I have played the fool, uh, keep yourself in the love of God. So a lot of his best sermons were actually G. Campbell Morgan, but he said, hey, he's dead. He's not going to use them. <laughs> so. That's great. Well, let me just say, if you just joined us, you're listening to Cheryl Broderson. She is the youngest child of Chuck Smith, who launched Calvary Chapel. This movie that's out now, Jesus Revolution, talks about Jesus people and this Jesus movement that began in the 60s and 70s on the West Coast. It spread across the United States. And Cheryl is the youngest child of the late Chuck and Kay Smith. Cheryl, music figured heavily into this revival movement as well. Not in the beginning. Give us the give us that history. Tell me the story a little bit of how music came in. Well, we were singing choruses, but most of our choruses we borrowed from the Catholic Church, like love, love, okay. love, love, and we are one in the spirit. So most of those yes. songs we borrowed. The Catholic Church was having this huge movement where they were kind of opening themselves up to the spirit. It was called, I think, Search. And so they had a lot of great songs and great choruses. And so we were singing some of those choruses 
we sang How Great Thou Art as a chorus. But there were a lot mm-hmm. of those. And my dad led everything a cappella for the night services. And as I said before, it was an organ and a piano. My mother could play the piano or the organ. No guitars yet. On Sunday morning. Mm-mm, no guitars. Some of these young people did play guitars, but it wasn't brought into the church until Love Song. So... This young man, Chuck Gerard, came with, I believe it was Tommy Coombs and Jay Truax, and they said, look, we've all gotten saved. I think Fred Field, too. We've we've just gotten saved, and we used to be part of this secular band. Our drummer's still not saved yet, but we have been <laughs> writing songs now for the Lord, and we'd like to play them for you. And so they played, I think they played Welcome Back, and my dad was just astounded. And he said, I want you to do this tonight. I think that was like a Monday night. And they mm-hmm. said, you know, we can't play Fred Field. Has to, he's, he has to do jail either on weekends or during the week. So they had to specifically get a day that Fred was out of jail, that they could uh, <laughs> do it. And so so my dad had him play. And it, it just was amazing. By this time, we were in the little church on Greenville and Sunflower about this time. And so when Love Song played and they brought in the guitars, then other people started saying to my dad, well, can I play? So Monday night would be this time where my dad would teach, but it would start with somebody, again, whatever door the Lord opened, they would say, look, I wrote Mm -hmm. some songs to the Lord. Can I play them? And it wasn't so much that the guitars were used for worship. They were more a means of these young people being able to tell their testimony, their story. Uh, For instance, uh, there was a young man, Chuck... Butler wrote this song about how kind of the culture of the the 50s going into the 60s uh, about the country club set and about this man who's just too busy for the Lord. You know, he's got a Bible on the shelf and that should be good enough. And at the end of the song, the man says, well, why isn't my name in the book of life? And it's just like one of those things like we're all Mm. like, wow. Mm-hmm. And mm. so they were taught their songs were more their testimonies of what the Lord was doing. And about that time, a young Jewish girl got saved named Debbie Kerner, who later became yes. Debbie Retino. Retino. Right. Yes. And she started writing these songs that could be choruses. And they were absolutely amazing. Everyone would sing along with some of her songs, not all of her songs. Some of her songs were, she had one song about Revelation that was the four horses that everyone would beg her to sing. It was just so um, electrifying and anointed. She wrote some choruses. And so other people started putting scripture to music and began to sing. So most of the choruses then that we began to sing were scriptures. We were singing scriptures. uh, And it was a way because, you know, to get the word of God in their hearts. Seek ye first, the kingdom of God, Karen Lafferty. She just wrote the uh, she's got a book on that story, which is amazing. I've been reading it about just her whole testimony and how God saved her and how that song came to be and the way the Lord has used that song. But again, that's how the guitars came in. Interestingly enough, the persecution against everything going on came with the entrance of the guitars into the church. Uh, right. My dad was asked to do a radio program with two famous pastors. And when he got on it, he was really excited. Again, an open door. They lambasted him. Uh, they, oh, for using guitars. For using, yes. for allowing guitars. And, the and you know, my dad hadn't gone that far into this thing. You know, that was kept right. to the night. Right. 
uh, services, and Sunday morning always remained the hymns and suits. You know, he wore he never veered from wearing a suit on a Sunday morning. There was my dad was both conservative and able to see into the future, but not ready to fully jump into it ever. You know, on a Sunday morning, they stayed always, you know, very conservative. So when they were lambasted, that really, um, he said, okay, I'm going to jump into it fully. If I'm not accepted by these who he had admired so much, Uh um, I'm just going to fully dedicate myself to this open door that the Lord has opened to me. So many doors open to my dad. I mean, Pat Boone, (laughs) caddy, his you know, golfing partner asked him to come up and give a Bible study at Pat Boone's house, which he did. He didn't know who any of the people were. He didn't know who Robert Goulet or Carol Lawrence were. And those were some of the people in attendance. My dad just never watched television. He didn't have time for it. He also ended up doing these outreaches with Johnny Cash and June Cash. I remember meeting Johnny Cash, who was very kind. June was absolutely the most loving, kindest woman I ever met. I was like, eight years old. And she just wanted to bring me out of my shell. She was so sweet. Um, But we started doing these Jesus movement events and Love Song would go, Debbie Kerner would go, Dave Rios, some of these others. And then other bands started rising, Children of the Day. Marsha Carter is the one who wrote For Those Tears I Died, a very, a song that kind of encapsulated, encapsulated the Jesus movement and the testimonies of those days, Mm. Um, another band, The Way. Mm. And so then my dad was like, well, we've got to get another venue besides the church to let their music be heard. And so he started renting like the Long Beach Arena, the Orange (laughs) County Fairgrounds, and he would make flyers and everyone would pass out these flyers. And thousands would come. Right. At the same time, Greg Laurie was a high school student and he had drawn up this track called the Living Water Track, and he brought it to my dad to our house. I think it was Christmas Day, and to show my dad what he had done in his art class at high school. And my dad said, Greg, let's take this and let's get it printed off and get it made. So the hippies had, in one hand, an invitation to a rock concert, a free rock concert, and in the other hand, a Living Water Track. And again, that was that was. That was just the way. I mean, evangelism. I mean, it was part of life. You you didn't have to screw on your courage to do it. It's just something that was happening. It was flowing right. out of people, right. and it was truly a work of the Spirit. Do you think the Lord can still bring revival today? Oh, absolutely. I just think our mission field looks differently. And this is what concerns mm-hmm. me about the church today, though. The church has stopped looking at the lost as a mission field, and we're condemning them, we're competing with them. And, you know, anybody who says, I feel their plight is called woke, and we're calling people, we're calling each other names in the church. And this is not wise. What we need to do is start praying for this lost generation, because this is a generation that is so confused and so lost, and they remind me of the generation that I grew up watching become transformed. It's the mm-hmm. same mm-hmm. the same opportunity. Mm-hmm. Yes, and the same opportunities. Right. But you know what really um, is interesting is the hippies were very confused. And I think that we have a generation that's very confused. I mean, they're confused about their biology, which should be one of the most obvious things to not mm-hmm. be confused about, but they're confused. Mm-hmm. And they need they need someone. And what my mom did so well is she listened. And she encouraged her friends to listen without judging. 
and then pray. And she said, you know, I used to talk to these hippies. And she said, why they're telling me their story. She said, I was scared to death, but I was praying so hard in my heart. You know, Lord, Mm. help me to listen. Help me not to react. And help me to take this to you and take them to to you. To love them. Exactly. In the name of Jesus. Exactly. And fruit was born. Absolutely. Well, Cheryl Broderson. I am so excited that you have shared a lot of it is the backstory that doesn't come out fully in the Jesus Revolution movie, but we needed to hear this, and you were the one to tell us, and thank you for doing that. Would you mind leading all of us in prayer right now that God will still use Christians to reach out to the unlovable? and lead them to faith in Christ, that the Spirit would be at work. Would, would you lead us in prayer? I would love to. So, Father, we come before you because you are the maker of heaven and earth. You're the one who knows every heart. Father, you know where the white fields are. You know where the lost who are to be found are hidden. So, Father, we pray that you would give us your heart, that heart that so loved mm. the world, You gave your only son. Give us that heart. Give us that passion that you have for the lost. Father, let us not condemn them. Let us not judge them. But let us, as you did, reach out our hands to them. Welcome them in and seek to have them know your son, Jesus. Oh, Father, put in our hearts again a passion for you, a passion for the gospel, and a passion for those that you so love. We ask this because of Jesus, because Jesus is the one who came, who lived on this earth, who felt our pain, who died for our sins, and who rose again from the dead, who is seated at your right hand and has poured out the Holy Spirit on us to give us the power to be your witnesses. So, Lord, we know with you all things are possible. So do your work, we pray. In your name, amen. Amen. Cheryl Broderson, my sister in Christ, taking us back and sharing this whole history with us, the backstory and the accurate story. Thanks for joining me for the first time on Haven Today. Thank you so much, Charles, for having me. God bless you. Thank you for joining us on the Great Stories podcast with Charles Morris. I had a great time with Cheryl Broderson and how she grew up in the midst of the Jesus Revolution. If you want to learn more about this incredible movement, while also just having a good time, head on over to haventoday.org and request your copy of the DVD. I know it will inspire you to believe that God is on the move even now. And perhaps he even wants to use you to bridge the gap between him and his lost sheep. Now. If you want to hear more content like what you heard on today's episode, please subscribe wherever you listen to podcasts. And if you enjoyed this episode, help us get the word out. Leave us a five-star review. You can also go to haventoday.org to sign up for our weekly email and discover additional episodes posted on the blog. And as always, thank you for joining me once again on Great Stories with Charles Morris. Charles Morris.